0: We're continuing tonight. with last couple of Wednesday nights, we had some wonderful messages from uh, from Eric Cheney, from Buck, ministered as well. And tonight we're going to get back to our series on the cross. And just so you remember, we're speaking about the cross in the life of the believer. We know about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sense that He died once for all. It says in Hebrews, He offered Himself once for the sins of all. But how is that cross, besides salvation, how is it, Or is it? Does it have any place in our life today? And absolutely it does. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we're talking about discipleship. That's why we're here tonight. We're disciples of the Lord. Most people here tonight, I don't know everybody perfectly well, but most people here tonight are born again. They're saved. They've given their life to Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that historic cross, but... That cross is to have a place in our lives daily, specifically in the sense of bringing death to our own will, death to our own desires and affections that Christ, uh, like John the Baptist said, I must decrease and He must increase. It's an ongoing work of sanctification. It's an ongoing walk of discipleship. The Bible says in 1 John 3, when we see Him, we'll be like Him. That means when we're raptured, when we see the Lord face to face, Then we'll be completely like Him. But between now and then, we're being made like the Lord. For whom God did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. As every believer. Little child, uh, somebody gets saved late in life. If somebody's born again, truly born again by the Spirit of God, by faith in this Gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has a purpose and a plan for that life. In one sense, your calling might be different than my calling as far as how, how it plays out and how God's going to use us. But in one sense, it's identical, absolutely identical. And that is the working of Christ in us. We are good to become more like Jesus every day. What is the call in life? What is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that Paul, Paul speaks of? I believe it's to be conformed to the image of His Son. There's no higher call than that. Amen? And He, he, by the working of His Spirit, is working in us. He speaks to us through His Word. He ministers to us through His Word. His Holy Spirit is the sanctifier that's working in our lives. And you and I have a responsibility to seek God and to walk in obedience to His Word. He helps us to do that. Aren't you glad that every single thing that God calls us to do, He helps us to do? He he enables us to do. I would even say it's beyond help. It's almost he, He does it through us but we have to cooperate we have to yield we have to surrender like we were singing about surrendering that last song we sang about this is uh, every breath that i take right every moment i'm awake have your way in me that's a prayer but it's also a prayer of surrender that this is not my will like jesus prayed in the garden but thy will be done and so uh there is a, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection about 2,000 years ago for this, for the, to make atonement for the sins of the world. And there is, then there is the working of Christ. And we're using the picture of the cross biblically. The working of Christ in our lives that we would be crucified. Like Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's, not, not I, but it's life of Christ that's in me, he says. And so, God enables us by the Holy Ghost to live this life. And so, we're talking. I want to get back to our, our study. I don't think we're going to be very long tonight. But what I, what the Lord has given me, I pray that we would really dial in, Amen. That we would really lay hold of what the Lord is speaking to our hearts tonight. And so, I want to open up with uh, Luke chapter. Luke chapter. Uh, I can read my own writing. 17, 32, and 33. Luke 17, 32, and 33. Sounds like this is going to sound like a strange place to begin a message, but I want you to follow with me. <clears throat> if you ever want to memorize a scripture and want to start with a short one, this is a good one. Okay? Luke seventeen thirty two says, Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his, his life shall preserve it. In all of the Gospels, there's this verse or something very similar to it. Jesus said, For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. It's not a maybe. It's not a perhaps. Whosoever shall save his life, it says in Luke chapter 9, I believe, shall lose it. Whosoever shall uh, uh, lose his life for my sake shall save it. It sounds like a paradox. It sounds like it it can't be that way, but that's how it is with the Lord. That's how it is with the Lord. What what shall a man profit, and what shall it profit for man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We try to hang on to things, and and God is saying, no, let go of things. And what we try to hang on to, we're going to lose. But I can promise you if we'll give it to the Lord, whatever it is, your children, your your hopes and dreams and ambitions, your very soul, your life, whatever you place into the hands of Jesus, it's going to be safe there. He will he will take care of that or those that you love or circumstances, or situations, or your country, or whatever it is that we're burdened for in this hour, the safest place to put it is in the hands of Jesus. The safest place to put your children is in the hands of Jesus Christ. Put them there and ask God by faith, Lord, help me leave them there. Casting our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. And so it's interesting that the Bible says, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, says, Remember Lot's wife. You know, for, the, for for people that think the Old Testament is irrelevant, they, they don't know what they're talking about. The the Old Testament, I've heard it put this way and I agree with you. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's a one continual book. Yes, there are different covenants. I'm not Israel. I'm not, not trying to claim the promises of Israel. And God still has a plan for the national people of Israel. But... There's one continual book. There's one savior of the world. He's, the salvation is of the Jews, the Bible said. He came from as a lion of the tribe of Judah. He was promised back in Genesis when in the garden when man first sinned that God would send a redeemer. It's, it's, it's totally uh, erroneous to think that the Old Testament has nothing to do with us. That I'm a New Testament believer, therefore, let's cut off the first, which is basically about three fourths of the Bible or two thirds, and I'm going to chunk that. Jesus confirmed the Old Testament through his preaching, through his ministry. It wasn't parables, it wasn't fables, it wasn't fairy tales. The story of, uh, or the account of Noah and the flood, and the animals all getting on the ark, that's not a fairy tale. That's not a parable. That's not a picture or resemblance or poetry. That actually happened, and Jesus confirmed it. As as uh, and Jonah in the whale, as as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. It was three literal days. Okay, just like Jonah was in the whale. My point is that uh, don't let modern—it's uh, not all, but many modern-day teachers and pastors and preachers and theologians minimize the Old Testament in your estimation. I don't want to go back under it. I'm not under the law. I don't seek to be under the law. We're not under the law, but under grace. We've, we did a whole series on the law for about seven or eight weeks. And I understand that, but I'm not going to discount what God has given me in His Word. Paul says in the last epistle, I believe that he wrote, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all, you don't need the Greek word, all means all. All means all of it. it was given by inspiration, literally God breed and is profitable for who? It's profitable for you and for me. That the man for reproof, instruction, and in righteousness and so forth, that the man of God may be perfect. That means mature or complete. That means we need the word of God. We need Proverbs. We need Psalms. We need Isaiah. You understand? We need Genesis in the, in the creation account. It's we're under the blood of Jesus. He came. That promised Messiah has come. And so here Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. It's just a fact. It's a fact. People can try to save what's valuable to them. And the best thing to do with it is to give it to God. Give it to the Lord. Uh, Abraham offered Isaac. And he received him back from the dead. It says in Hebrews as a figure because he was as good as dead. But he gave him to the Lord. And when he gave him to the Lord, God, he was sanctified now. He belonged to the Lord. And and the Lord was able to give that son back to his father that loved him, his only son, whom he loved. And he had the proper place in Abraham's heart. Isaac's not an idol. God is my Lord. Isaac is a blessing from the Lord. And if we would look at everything in life that way, Our finances and what our finances have gotten us. Relationships, everything, health, everything. If we'll put it in in the Lord's hands, we're going to have it as He would have us to have it. We'll have it and it'll be in its right place. Because Christ wants to be our all in all and that's that's where He deserves to be. Amen? So I want you to... uh, I'm just going to read a scripture real quickly. You can turn if you want to in Genesis 19.26. Now we know the story of Lot's wife. We don't know her name. We know the story of Lot in the Bible. And God was bringing judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Their iniquity had reached up to heaven. He came down. He went and visited Abraham before. He went to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. and, And Abraham's prayer of intercession, much like Moses, um, Interceding for the people, Abraham's prayer of intercession spared Lot. The Lord rescued Lot and his family, but they were told to get out. And we know the story. It's a sermon for another day. But but honestly, the, the story of Lot is a sermon in itself. And the story of Lot is a is a message for us in itself that when we saw Lot, in times past, this was Abraham's nephew that had come out with him under the calling of the Lord. And they separated because they were God was blessing them so much. They're multiplying their sheep, their camels, their servants. They said, we've got to get some elbow room here. Let's spread out. And Abraham, being the man of God and trusted in the Lord, says, Lot, choose whatever you want. North, south, east, or west. You choose what you want. Lot says, I want to go down there in that plain. It looks like it's beautiful. It's springing with water. My cattle will be good there. And the Bible says he pitched his tents near Sodom. He wasn't in the town of Sodom. He must have been right on the outskirts. I'm sure he could see it. Later, when we see Lot, he's in the city, inside the walls, inside the gate. Now Sodom was known for its wickedness. Sodom was known for its abominable things and and wickedness and and vile sins. And here's this man, and the Bible does not ever say that Lot Lot committed the sins of Sodom. In fact, he's called just in the sense of innocent. But it does say, Peter talks about the fact that the sins of the people that he communed with The people that He lived among. Vexed His soul from day to day. You put yourself around a bunch of ungodly people when you don't have to be, it's going to vex you. Because it's not the life that we're called to live. You surround yourself with TV shows and music and people when it's your own choice to do what you want. You say, I'm going to hang out with those people. They don't know Jesus. And you're choosing to be with them. It's going to vex your soul from day to day. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying it's an error. You're in sin. And God's called you and me both to come out of it. When you make that choice, it's going to vex your soul. And so this is where Lot was. He was vexed. He had obviously moved closer and closer. And then we see him in the city. And we know the whole story. Basically, the Lord sends an angels to get him out. But it's like the warning wasn't enough. The man's like he's sleepwalking. Get up and get you out of this place. God's going to destroy it, but he can't destroy it till you leave. Hallelujah for that, right? He's not going to destroy the just with the unjust or the righteous with the wicked. He's going to get you out, but he's telling you, get out. Now's the time. They literally had to grab him. It was like he says, while he tarried. Why would you tarry? Why would you stay when God says go? I've tarried before. I've tarried in situations I shouldn't. I've tarried in relationships with people and best buddies and friends in college that I shouldn't have when I knew better. But we do it, but we don't have to. That doesn't have to be the pattern of our lives. Remember Lot's wife, okay? And so I want us to see this, but this is the the fires, they get out of the city, they're on the outskirts of town, they're looking back, and they were told not to look back, it says, let's look at the verse 24. Genesis 19:24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So here's this eternal reminder. This is why the Lord's saying, remember Lot's wife. That's not a fairy tale. That's not like some little uh, Disney thing. Lot's wife was a real person. And they were told, don't look back. Just keep going forward and get out of here. Okay? But his wife just has to, to look back. And it cost her her life. And she became a pillar of salt. You can just picture her standing there becoming a pillar of salt. Is like this memorial of... Of what you shouldn't do, a memorial of, of looking back, and so <clears throat> this to me is goes with with what the Lord is saying about whoever seeks to save his life is going to lose it, but whoever will lose his say, his life for my sake, the same is going to find it, and so you have to ask the question: Had had she left Sodom? Well, in one sense she did physically, she was out. She was in a safe place. She was far enough out because he says he rained down fire and brimstone upon the cities and all the little towns around it and the plains that were near it, probably where Lot had first lived. But she was still safe physically. But her heart was not. Her heart was still longing. And in one sense she left and God got her out. And in the most important sense, she never left. And here's what we're bringing into our message tonight about the cross in the life of the believer. Her her fleshly lusts and desires and longings of her heart still long to be there. I don't know if, it's, if what the particular thing was, and, it, and it's not even for me to guess what what particularly she longed for there. But it wasn't a good longing. It wasn't a good desire. Don't forget this. In God's eyes, what was Sodom fit for? It it was only fit to be destroyed. He would have spared it if he could have spared it. All right? In God's eyes, our, our God's eyes, he said that city and that place and those people are only fit for this judgment and destruction. But in her eyes, in Lot's wife's eyes, there was something really valuable back there. Now you think about that. I've thought about my own life and I know that I've shared it, but but I would have been I would have been like the church at Laodicea for a while, lukewarm, my last year of high school and college, where what was really there for me in the fraternity house, that's what was there for me. And yet I didn't want to let go of it. And it took about five years for God to use a crowbar. And pry me off of it. And he put the fear of God in me. And I'm thankful for the fear of God. Because the Bible says by the fear of the Lord. Men depart from evil. And he had to get me with the fear of God. I'm sure in that five year period. He tried a lot of other ways. That should have been sufficient. But it was the fear of the Lord. By myself in my apartment one day. My last semester at LSU. That God got a hold of my life. Fully. But God sees it only fit for destruction because of the sinfulness. He loves men. He loved the people there. And yet there was only fit for destruction. But she had things that she desired. Her desires were still for the world. Let's just say that for the world back there in Sodom. And she loved that life. She loved that life. And I think about in the Bible where it says uh, Paul at the end of his life, he's about to be beheaded for the Lord in Rome. And he's talking about giving uh, Timothy some last instructions. And he says, Demas has forsaken me and has departed, having loved this present world. How'd you like that to be the last statement on your tombstone from a man of God speaking about your life? Randy has departed. He's forsaken me and he's departed. And what was the cause? Having loved this present world. And I always think about it. Some of the earlier epistles, and I didn't look it up tonight, Demas is mentioned at least in one as a fellow laborer with Paul in the Gospel. And yet, his heart was still attached to this world. It tells us, having loved this present world, he departed. I don't think he only departed from Paul. Think he departed from the Lord, and this this can happen, and it's not. We need to allow the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't run from that. Don't run from the things that God's wanting to do in your life. If He's trying to pry you out of a relationship, He's trying to get you to stop listening to that music. If He's trying to uh, get you to stop watching those TV shows, hanging out with those people, and talking like that, and listening to those joke jokes. If it's finances, whatever it may be, if he's trying to get you away from it, he is our God and our Savior and our Lord and our friend. Nobody loves us like Jesus. And if he says this, says this is harmful to your life and he is trying to separate us from it, then we need to allow him to do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to fall into his hands. Don't be afraid. To to surrender everything to the Lord. Don't be afraid to walk some new path you haven't walked before. I'm talking about some new path that lines up with the Word of God and where the Holy Spirit is directing you. Say, I've never done that before. I've never taken a stand for Jesus like that before. I've never been without my best buddy or this girlfriend or this boyfriend. I've never but yet God's say they're not they're not what I have for your life. They're not Helping to sanctify you. In fact, they're a hindrance to your life. I'm not saying everything in your life. You know what those things are. I have no clue. But The things in our lives that cause us to compromise. The things in our lives that cause us to sin. The things in our lives that cause us to stay tethered to or tied to this world. I know I'll share this little pretty silly illustration, but there was two men. They'd gone out drinking one night and... It was late at night. They've been drinking. They said, let's go do some night fishing. And they jumped in their boat down at the end of the pier. And they start rowing and rowing. And the sun starts coming up. And they notice they've been rowing for hours. And they're still tied to the dock. They never went anywhere. And I think that's the way a lot of times for, for believers that we, we wonder why we're not getting anywhere. And God wants us to get somewhere. And he has the means to get us there. And that getting there is to, for us to be more like Jesus. I'm not saying you won't have heartaches, you won't have trials and tribulations. You most certainly will. But you'll be where God wants you to be. And you'll be growing and maturing. And you'll be, you'll be taking new ground like we've talked about. You know, the, the Israelites, we have used them in, in this study. Going into the Promised Land, they had to possess the land. And the Lord didn't give it to them all at once. It wasn't like, all right, by tomorrow morning, all the Canaanites will be dead and you just start setting up shop. They took, they took it little by little they progressed in the lord they took new ground and possessed new lands and that I believe that's a picture spiritually not just of some physical land that we take but you know i used to struggle with this sin of lying and and god dealt with me about it i'm just making things up and and now there's a real victory in this area and it took some doing it took some working of the lord it took some obedience to the lord it took some studying of his word it took some prayer and fasting But I have a victory in this area of my life now. And we possess some new ground, so to speak, in Jesus. That's very real. I pray that all of you in here have a testimony where you can look back and see I can see not only God brought me through this trial, but how he made me something new in the Lord. I used to worry. Uh, Again, I'm making things up. I used to worry constantly and live in, in fear and worry as a Christian. And I know it's not of God. I'm making things up, OK? And yet God now may be giving you this place where you have a, a peace in your heart and a peace in your mind. And you're not fretting 24-7. You're able to sleep at night. You don't have stomach ulcers because God's given you peace. This is what we're talking about. And so try to, when we try to hang on to things that God wants us to let go of, it's never going to be good. I'm not saying you're not born again. If you're born again, you're born again. Alright? I'm saying if God's ready to move you on. And like Henry Blackaby said in that book, Experiencing God, you can't stay where you are and go with God. It's going to be one or the other. You can't stay where you are currently and go with God wherever He's leading you to go. Not just physically leading you, but spiritually. It might be leading you into a deeper prayer life. You might know the Word very well, but your prayer life is minuscule. And God wants you to be a man or a woman of God in prayer. Maybe you've never prayed and fasted before because fasting's difficult for you. Maybe He wants to do that in your life. I'm not telling you. I'm saying whatever it is God's wanting to do in your life. Uh, Let's look at this real quickly at 1 Samuel. If you're still in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. We know the story about Saul. King Saul. We're not going to read this whole chapter, but... Evidently, the Bible says when Paul, when Saul was little in his own eyes, God promoted him and made him king. First king of Israel. God chose him. Holy Ghost came upon him. He prophesied with the prophets at one time. Something happened along the way, and we know he disobeyed the Lord two times, and they tried to excuse it and try to cover it up instead of just repenting. David sinned horribly right with Bathsheba and, and, and had her husband killed, and he said, I've sinned. And Nathan says, "God's put put your sin away already." Sam Saul tries to hold on to it all. It's like a crumbling empire around him. He's trying to prop it up and keep it going. Guess what? Let it crumble. Let it crumble. Fall at the foot of Jesus and say, "God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Forgive me." And S- Saul tries to hang on to it. Let's look at First uh, Samuel seventeen. I'm sorry, fifteen. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This is Samuel talking to him. And stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. What was the most important thing to Saul? That kingdom. That kingdom. Being king. David said when his son uh, Absalom took the kingdom from him at one point, he He, he left. I'm not saying this is is necessarily a pattern, but there is a pattern in this sense that that David gave it to the Lord. And he walked out and left uh, Jerusalem, I think, and said, if the Lord wants to bring me back, He will. I still have the Lord. The Lord is my portion. You ever read Psalm 16? The Lord is my portion. Not the kingdom is my portion. You give it to God and see what He'll give you back. What He gives you back is far greater than what you gave to Him, I can promise. All through your life and all through my life. Saul, David says, take it, Lord. It was unjust, it was unfair. His own son usurped his authority and sneak, uh, craftily stole the people's heart from him, had led a rebellion against his own dad. And yet David says, I, I give it to, you know, Lord, I, give, I don't give it to Absalom. I give it to You, Lord. If You want to bring me back, You'll bring me back. God did bring him back. Saul had a whole different mindset. He had to excuse. He had to prop things up. He had to uh, appear a certain way before his men and so forth. And God says, uh-uh, No, you've rejected me. You've rejected my word that I've told you the kingdom's taken from you. And it didn't depart from him that day, but it was the beginning of the end for Saul. Amen. So we learned not to hold on, like Corey Timboon, you know, her and her family housed the, uh, the Jews during the Nazis. Uh, were they in Holland? Is that where they lived? In Holland. And uh, I mean, it's an amazing story. But her and her family felt they were Christians and they believed it was their duty to protect many as they could, Jews from the Nazis, and they hid them. They get, got caught from hiding, hid, hiding them, and they were in turn thrown in the same concentration camps as the Jews they were trying to protect. Uh, her sister died there. Her sister was horribly abused there, uh, but she, she, the Lord spared her. She got out. She shouldn't have gotten out, but God had it, and she got out. She went on to serve the Lord. But she said that God had taught her to hold on very loosely to things. Things as people, as uh, dreams, ambitions, everything. Hold on to it loosely. And she said it doesn't have to hurt so much when God pries my fingers on. Boy, I want to learn that. I want to learn that lesson better. He's teaching me, but I want to learn it better. If we would let the Lord, by the working of His cross, work in our lives, He would do that. And He's kind. And He's gentle. And the Bible says He's good. And He does good. I want to ask the question, we're not going to be too much longer tonight, but what... What is dear to us? For Lot's wife, whatever was back there, which God saw only fit for destruction, I promise you he would have spared it if there was anything redeemable in his holy eyes to redeem. He saw it only fit for destruction, but Lot's wife, there was something dear to her back there. And I would just ask the question tonight, what do I treasure or value? That thing in and of itself might not be sinful. Could be a job that's a perfectly good job. Could be a house, could be a bank account, could be your health, could be your family. What, what is it that we cherish and value? Because I can promise you God is kind and is patient and He's gentle, but he is going to go after that thing. And wouldn't it be better if you and I would just give it to him right off the bat? Beat him to it. You know what I mean? Like, God, I know you're getting ready to go after this. And you're perfectly right. It has a place in my heart and in my life that it should not have too great a value in my life. And it's crowding you out of my heart, or my time, whatever it may be. And I want to give it to you now. It could be popularity, it could be it could be approval among men. There's so many different things that it could be. But what we need to esteem as valuable is what God esteems as being valuable. We we'll look at a couple more scriptures. First Peter chapter three. 1 Peter 3, verse 4. You know, some people use this passage to say women shouldn't wear makeup. They shouldn't wear jewelry. We did our study on Wednesday nights on First and 2 Peter. I don't think that's the point of the passage, honestly. He does say in verse 3, 1 Peter 3, 3 speaking about the women who's adorning. That means their, their, their beauty. Let your beauty, let it not be, verse 3, the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair. It doesn't say don't plait your hair. It's saying to me it's saying don't let that be your beauty. Don't let that be your beauty. Don't that let that be what makes you beautiful. Same could go for a man, okay? Don't let it be but but it says in verse four, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of it's in the sight of God of great price. So that tells me something there. There are things that are in the Lord's eyes that are of great value. And one of the things that is great value to the Lord is in His redeemed people that He has redeemed a meek and a gentle and a quiet spirit. I'm not saying you never speak. i talking about gentleness. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Meekness is fruit of the Spirit. And so don't let your beauty be for show outward in the sense of uh, carnal things that will come and go. Let it be, when somebody gets to know you, that's a beautiful person because of Christ in them and what Christ has done in their lives. And part of that's going to be like Moses, the most meek man on the face of all the earth. I always loved that. I said, God, make me like that. That was impressive to the Lord, so to speak. Even though the Lord's the one that did it. In his life. Moses let him do it in his life. We need to value the things that God values. And we need to cut loose the things that God says cut loose. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The last time we studied this study. If God says cut it off. If God says pluck it out. Uh, <coughs> nothing else is going to do. Counseling is not going to do it. If God says cut it off. We're not... We're not Uh, advocating nor do I think Jesus was advocating maiming ourselves but if something has got that kind of hold in your life that you continue to sin and fall in sin deal with it you don't need to go to another counselor about it you don't need to go to the Christian bookstore and flip through and see if you can find the right book on it you need to get on your knees at the altar and say take it Lord whatever you have to do in my life take some time to fast take some time to pray take some time to be filled with this Spirit. God, give me the strength to walk in obedience in this area of my life. It's nothing but disobedience. Yes, it is a stronghold. But Jesus' blood is sufficient for the strongholds. Amen? To to cast those things down. And so, when God's saying cut it off, lay it down, He wants us to cut it off and lay it down. Amen? In the cross of the Lord. I'm going to close with a few thoughts. There's one... Brother who's made this prayer. Oh, my God, prepare my heart to receive whatever Christ has purchased for me. Allow me not to rest short of it. How many of us even think like that? We just got our nose to the grindstone. We're Christians. We love the Lord. We get up. How many of us take time to say, I don't want to come short of anything you have for me? Don't let me, God. Come short of it. That's what this man is praying. Amy Carmichael, when she was bedridden, this this author quotes Amy Carmichael a lot. And if you've ever read her book, you know, you would see a, a wonderful life lived for the Lord. All glory to God. But a life fully surrendered to the Lord. When she was bedridden in India serving the Lord, I'm going to read a quote from her. <clears throat> she said, We who follow, and I'm, I'm closing with this. <clears throat> We who follow the crucified are not here to make a pleasant thing of life. You know our whole series we're doing on Sunday mornings about our glorious future? This is the thought that God has showed me. And and He is beginning to do it in my life. I'm thankful and to impart to our lives that our hope is in heaven. That our treasures are to be laid up in heaven. I know the Scriptures. We could all teach a Bible study on it. But I want it to be my life. And my reality. Okay? And she says, We who are are called to follow the crucified are not here to make a pleasant thing of life. Lord, forgive us of our shameful evasions and hesitations. His brow, speaking about Jesus, was crowned with thorns. Do we seek rosebuds for our crowning? His hands were pierced with nails, and our hands are ringed with jewels. His feet bear. We're bare and bound. Do our feet walk delicately? What do we know of travail, of tears that scald before they fall, of heartbreak, of being scorned? God forgive us our love of ease. I'm going to put myself right at the top of this list, okay? God forgive me of my love of ease. God forgive us that so often we turn our faces from a life that is even remotely like His. We think we're suffering so much, y'all. We're not even close. I'm not saying you go suffer for just for suffering's sake. But I mean, honestly, forgive us that we all but worship comfort. The delight of the presence of loved ones, possessions, treasures on earth. Far, far from our prayers, too often is any thought of prayer for a love which will lead us to give one whom we love to follow our Lord to Gethsemane, to Calvary. Perhaps because we have never been there ourselves. I want to just close. The Bible says, Beloved, He says, Love not the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the proud of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Forever. I want to live my life for the Lord. We're going home soon. Maybe it's not soon. Maybe the lord got His plans and it's 100 years from now. I don't think so. But... However and whenever it is, it's going to be soon. And it's going to be eternal. And how I live now will affect that. Even though I'm born again now, it will have effect into that life. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says. Y'all stand with me tonight. I know we didn't talk a whole lot about the cross, but we're talking about dying to ourselves. Amen? We're talking about allowing the Lord to have his way in our lives. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, God, forgive us for our worship and love of comfort and ease. Forgive me, God. And God, help me seek rather to identify with Christ, to be dead to myself, Lord. You're not advocating us to self-mutilation. We just come to you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us. Help us to lay our lives at the foot of Jesus. Help us to lay things that like Lot's wife did not lay down. We want to lay it all down at the foot of the cross and truly be dead to it. God, Paul said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Help us to live that way, God. Work in our lives to make us more like Jesus, God. Forgive us of our sins. Take a few minutes with the Lord tonight, y'all. Worship Him. Meet with Him. He might have spoken to you very clearly. I pray He has. There's something you can lay down. You don't have to wait till you get home. You can do it now. And lay it down at the foot of the cross. And say, Lord, take it. And he will.